see you guys in a couple hours. The uh, transfiguration we're going to talk about this morning um, was a moment in the life of Christ where he uh, allowed for his true and and, uh, inner divine nature to uh, shine out visibly, manifested physically uh, to uh, just a few of his disciples. And uh, there's a a really good reason for that. We're going to explore that here in just a moment. But uh, that particular event uh, was a glimpse of glory uh, to enable his disciples to be able to walk through some very dark times. Um, As Christians, we have a lot of scripture that helps us to understand um, how to walk through life, how to walk through pain and difficulty and confusion, hard circumstances, but there are uh, two things in particular that um, we have to grasp, that that help us to grasp uh, Jesus Christ through pain and and sorrow. And one of them is what Romans tells us, which is that all things work for good uh, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God works out everything for his own purpose, and we can trust that he has a plan. Amen? Even um, some of the most difficult periods of our life um, are potentially moments where God is most actively at work. In fact, I think most of us would testify to the reality that it is in those moments Uh, when things are darkest or most difficult, when we find the power uh, of God most presently at work in our lives. Um, That that begins to to help us to walk through those things. Uh, There's another thing, though, that is also present in the life of a believer, which is that um, God reveals a little bit of glory uh, in the present in order to uh, draw us or to encourage us towards the, the ultimate glory that he is providing and promising to his followers. That we experience in small doses um, the peace, the uh, relief, the um, sense of his power and presence in, in these glimpses that uh, enable us to understand that there is something beyond this life. This life is not all that there is, amen? And that our hope and our joy and our purpose and our plan is to uh, ultimately spend eternity in that glory. Now, um, there is a, an issue. And uh, I love your testimony, Amber, and um, the advice that you got was so correct. Whatever you're going through, you have a choice. You have a choice to trust God or you have a choice to blame God. You have a trust to, to uh, lean into God or you have a, tr- you have a choice to um, lean on yourself. You know, the scripture says, uh, lean not on your own understanding, but trust God in his ways, his paths. He'll make your way straight, but he gives you the choice. And we are always 
in that position, no matter if life is good, hard, difficult, confusing, whatever's going on, we always have this fulcrum, okay, this tipping point where we can either go on our own or we can go with God. And we have to make that decision to say, I'm going to see what God has for me in this. I'm going to trust him through this. And no matter what's going on in your life, when you do that, when you just rely on his presence and his power and his truth and his promises, I'm telling you that you just, you experience life in a different way. Things um, begin to make sense in a world where there's so much confusion. And uh, the transfiguration is a story an event uh, about that. So let's stand as we read God's word this morning and explore this a little bit more. This is Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 through 13, and it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised up from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also... The Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And Lord, we pray for the same experiences, Lord, same revelations, God, that you would um, bless us with the, the patience, the mercy, the grace to, to walk us through things that we don't understand. To, uh, to provide the grace and the glory in whatever dose we need to be able to uh, move into difficult times, whatever they might be. And God, we just pray that uh, today your Holy Spirit would take uh, the truth of your word always. God, you said you're the teacher. You're the teacher. We shouldn't call anyone on this earth teacher but Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would come and teach us from your word, uh, that you would reveal your truth, that you would implant it deep into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear, uh, willingness to respond, to receive it, Lord, that uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to uh, uh, take what you have, have uh, shared, what you have communicated what you have given, Lord, would also empower and enable us, Lord, to receive it 
to make use of it, Lord, to let it transform our lives. God, that you would do all that you want today. That we would be willing to just let you do, speak, move however you want. And not to stand in the way of that in any way. <laughs> for your glory, God, and for our sake, we, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the transfiguration um, is um, communicated, uh, recorded for us in three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all um, say the same thing. I mean, there are a couple little differences here and there, uh, but they all communicate the, the transfiguration in the same way, which means that there's, there's a point here that they're all trying to drive at. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. That is obviously a direct reference to the things that were happening in the passage before. All three Gospels say that, okay? Matthew and Mark say six days. Luke says eight days, um, which, just for those who are interested, um, and I'll try to be very brief on this point, but Luke is using uh, what he calls, or what we call, inclusive time, which means that uh, he takes any part of a day as, as a day. So if it's um, 11.39 at night, it, it doesn't matter. It's still part of this day. So he's going to count that as a day. So Luke is using Roman time. He's using Gentile understanding versus Matthew and Mark. He used very Jewish uh, accounting of time. So that's why you have that little bit of a difference in the time. But they're both saying the same exact thing. A week later, this happened. The transfiguration happened after something else. So you got to go back to Matthew 16 to see what is being uh, communicated, what story's happening, what are the, the main points of the teaching uh, that the transfiguration answers. Okay, The transfiguration answers something about something that happened before. And what it is, you go back uh, just a few verses here, uh, Matthew 16 and verse uh, 13, uh, it's, it's this story of Jesus going to Caesarea Philippi. And that is where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? And they say, uh, some say the prophet. Some say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some say that you're Elijah. Some, you know, they had all these different answers. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, um, in a moment of inspiration by the Father... And this is what Jesus says. You, you didn't get this by yourself, Peter. The Father revealed this to you. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, so he, G, Peter understands Jesus is the Messiah that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to and prophesying about uh, for thousands of years. Peter understands that clearly this is who Jesus is. And again, Jesus affirms that. And then right away, Jesus starts to say this in verse 21. It says, from that time, okay, from the time that the disciples understood clearly that Jesus is the Messiah, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Okay, so from that time to this, he's saying, uh, I need to remind you guys, I need to help you to understand that I'm going to die. And as soon as he begins to communicate that, you know what Peter does? He rebukes Jesus. Can you? Make, I mean, I just find that so strange. 
he begins to argue with Jesus. This cannot happen, and he kind of understand it. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. You're going to restore all things to their proper position. How can you possibly die? That doesn't make sense. It can't be true. We won't let it happen because um, we, we could fight and try to make sure that this doesn't happen. Plus, you're God, so obviously you have the power to make sure this doesn't happen. But here's what Jesus says to him. He says, get behind me. Who? Get behind me, Satan. Just a few verses before that, he had been commending Peter on the inspiration that the Father had given him about the Messiah, and now he's calling him Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The whole trajectory of, of Jesus' life is moving towards the cross. He has to die for the sin of the world. They didn't understand that. Now, here's the, the reason why the uh, transfiguration happens in connection with these things um, is because the crucifixion is going to be a traumatic event in the lives of the disciples. Okay, They're going to witness with their eyes in the very presence of this holy event. They're going to witness their Messiah, their teacher, their Lord, suffer, um, beating, uh, mocking, ridicule. Then he's going to be uh, killed. He's going to be crucified in the most agonizing, painful way that you can imagine. The, the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. Okay, that, That's what that word uh, has its roots in, is crucifixion. Excruciating, it's this sense of, of, of a pain that you cannot fathom. They're going to watch this with their very eyes. That's going to cause some, some PTSD. Okay, they're, they're going to have some, some trauma over this. Anybody would who sees this thing, but especially somebody that they love, care for. And then on top of that, not only are they going to witness the, the most horrific thing happen to somebody they care for, they are going to abandon him in his time of need. All of them. They're going to run away. They're going to let him face this on their own. Some of them are going to betray him by denouncing Jesus in verbally. Peter himself calls down curses on himself. He is, he is saying that he promises, basically, that uh, he does not know Jesus. I, I'm swearing to you I don't know him. And he's doing that in the presence of Jesus, who then turns and looks at him on his third and final denouncement of Jesus. Okay? You think that's a little bit traumatic? <laughs> and then this is why... Um, we have the reinstatement of Peter specifically in the Gospel of John because Peter needed to have that reassurance that he was still included, not only in salvation, which was very important, but also in the ministry of Jesus, uh, that he's going to carry on the Gospel. He needed that, that reassurance. Uh, it's going to cause some issues. Um, and so what happens is that in um, verse 28 here, of chapter 16 says, truly I say to you, Jesus is concluding this whole scenario. I, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some here are going to experience physically, visibly, personally the kingdom revealed to them. And that's what he's talking about. Six days later, this event happens. Okay, Peter, James, and John, that's it. It's a private event. 
It's not public. It's not for everyone. It's not even for all the, the apostles. It's only for Peter, James, and John. He takes them up there and he tells them, don't say anything to anyone until after the resurrection. Keep this to yourselves. And one of the things that is kind of interesting about this is that they're going to get a glimpse of glory that nobody else is going to get. Um, and, and the question is, why do they get this glimpse? And also, how much of the, the presence and the glory of God do you and I experience? And here's the answer, okay, just so you understand. You get as much as you need. For whatever reason, Peter, James, and John needed this experience. For whatever reason, the other disciples didn't. They were probably jealous about that after they heard the whole thing recounted to them after Jesus was risen from the dead, and you got to see this thing, and we don't get to see that. Guess what? You'll get to see it again someday. We'll all get to bask in the glory of Jesus physically, personally, radiating the glory of God from his face, from his being, amen, forever. Go read Revelation chapter 1. You see a picture of who Jesus is in heaven. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but they got what they needed for that moment, okay? And so what happens here is that he is transfigured, verse 2, before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Uh, Mark says that his clothes were bleached uh, or, or whiter than anyone could possibly bleach them. Uh, Luke says that it was like a flash of lightning. Um, and, and the idea is that he is radiating light from within. Okay, This is his nature shining out. This is not just Jesus kind of being a little bit bright. This is the... Here's the thing about Jesus versus you and me. We talk about Jesus as being perfect, right? He, he's perfect. He didn't sin. He was sinless. He didn't do anything wrong. He never said anything that was wrong. He never did any behavior that was, that was incorrect. He, he fulfilled the law. He kept the law. He did everything exactly right. But Jesus' nature is not just a little bit better than yours and mine. Okay? He's not just better by degree, like, well, I fail sometimes, and he didn't fail. He is God in the flesh. He is divine. He is the absolute radiance of God. He is, in, for a moment in time, um, walking in the tent of, of the human body. But his nature is God's nature. And so when he's transfigured, it's not as if something really changed. It, all it was was a... Uh, revealing of who he really was, just for a moment, for, for this glimpse of time. And why that's important is because two things. One is that we under, have to understand uh, that Jesus is God, and that's why we trust him for salvation. <laughs> Amen? And number two, it, it helps us to understand the real difference between him and us. I need, not just to be a little bit better person, I need a, a total transformation. I, I'm he let his inner being shine out for a moment, and it was blinding, because that's who he is. What if you and I let our inner nature shine out? And I shouldn't say shine out. <laughs> what if you let your real inner nature come out and be seen visibly? Would it be better or worse than you look physically? 
darker, uglier, more disturbing than probably what we would want to admit. Now, that's interesting in one sense because um, you, I don't have to really convince you of that, right? Ex except there's, there's a couple of things going on. One is that um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have received the Holy Spirit, then you are transformed from the inside out. You are actually a new creation in Christ. And you have a different nature, a new nature. Amen? So, on one hand, we should be able to let that nature be revealed. And people should be um, inspired by that and encouraged by that and blessed by that and, and uh, astounded in some sense of this new person that, that we are in Christ. That's true and that's a reality. And yet, on the other hand, how many of us know that there's still an old sinful creature still in there somewhere? Anybody? And we have to keep that old, how the New Testament talks about it, the old man or the old nature. We have to keep that old nature in check. So here's just a couple things that we need to understand. One is there was only one other person in all of Scripture that had a radiant appearance, okay? That person was Moses, and how he achieved or came to have this radiant appearance was that he spent significant time on the mountain with God, receiving the law from God, and basking in the, the presence of God's glory. And he'd come down from the mountain, he'd go to the Israelites, and they would kind of freak out a little bit because his face was glowing. And so he would put a, a veil over his face because uh, they couldn't quite handle, for whatever reason, the fact that Moses' face is glowing. Whenever he comes down off the mountain, he's glowing. That's not Moses' inner nature coming out, right? That is a reflection of being in the presence of God. And here's something that you can kind of take away from this whole experience. One is that human beings are kind of like sponges. You, you absorb the environments that you spend your time in. You reflect the people, places, and, and the, the media, and the music, and the movies, and the language, and the darkness, and the things that are around you that you spend time in. They begin to affect you to the degree that you begin to project those things out to other people. And we have to understand that most people, let's say most, because not all, but most people, they are required to spend a significant amount of their time in the presence of darkness. In, I don't know, unholy places? Immoral company, you, you have to work with people shoulder to shoulder that don't speak sanctified words, don't have holy, godly attitudes, that uh, don't have morals that go anywhere close to what Scripture would say. This might be your school, it might be your workplace, it might be your home. 
where you are spending significant amounts of time in places that are beginning to rub off on you. And on top of that, how many people are listening to music that is also ungodly? Now, there's Christian music, and then there's some music that's neutral, and then there's music that is, is wicked. And I don't know, you know what, where, what around that trajectory you are on that, but sometimes you're filling your mind with godless things, watching things that are inherently evil. And we're on social media, we're on the internet, and we're on all kinds of, of devices and, and things that, are, that we're allowing into our eyes, into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives, that, that we begin to project those things out. You cannot help it. I'm telling you, and I don't know if you agree, disagree, you're going to argue this, but the reality is, as a human being, you reflect that which you spend the most time with. You can't help but do it. You can try with all of your might and all of your willpower not to, to be better, to rise above, but I'm telling you that at some level, you are radiating out what you've been receiving in. So, what do you do with that? Um, there are people, many people, that have to spend time in environments that are not holy, not wholesome. What do you do? And there are a couple of things. One is um, there are some things that you can control. Some things you can't, but some things you can. So control the things that you can. The media, the movies, the music, the things, the, the, the materials that you're reading, whatever it is, you can control what you allow into your life and into your home. Okay, so control those things, first of all. But number two, you might need to change your environment if you can. Some people need to really look at a job change, a school change, or, or trying to get into a, a different circle of friends. You might need to really seriously consider that. If you cannot change your environment, okay, then you might need to change your environment. Does that make sense? Flip it either way. still makes sense. That is the reality that most people have to deal with. Now, beyond that, here's the other thing that has to happen. Um, if you want to see your attitude change, your heart change, your countenance change, your words change, your behaviors change, then you're going to have to do the work of making sure that you are getting more good into your life than the bad that you have to expose yourself to. That means putting yourself into Christian uh, relationships, environments. It means getting the Word of God into your heart and into your mind. It means spending time in prayer. It means listening to worship music. It means making sure that you are overbalancing the amount of good godly, holy, wholesome, sanctified things that, that you're going to put yourself into because you're constantly in this other environment that's draining you spiritually. And my thought is, for some people, instead of doing that, they just think, well, I'll just 
try harder to not let that stuff bother me. You, you can't try hard enough. You have to make sure that you're putting the right stuff in to get the right thing out. Here's another thing. Are you tired yet? How many of you are not tired? Raise your hand. All right, that's enough. So, <laughs> I, I didn't ask for the other. Here's the thing, and I'll move on. There are people, and I think it's a minority, but there are people that spend a significant amount of time in church life. Okay, I'll just talk about it that way, in church life. They, they are friends with Christian people. They go to church plenty. Um, they spend time in those environments enough that they begin to reflect the Christian uh, language, the Christian mindset, the Christian behavior, the Christian countenance, the Christian whatever, life. And yet they're not transformed on the inside. They're simply sponges reflecting the environment that they're spending time in, and they have not received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and submitted their heart to him. And it's such a hard thing for, for us, pastors, uh, leaders, and, and Christian people in general, to try to understand the difference because we see all the behaviors are right, the language is right, and, the, and all the kind of thought process seems to be right on track, and, but there's a step of obedience and faith that has not been made yet to say, I trust Jesus, I need Jesus, and I'm laying my life down for him to save me. And that's a, I'm telling you, that's a dangerous place to be because you're being influenced by a Christian culture outwardly, but inwardly you're still lost. And you can convince yourself and everybody else that everything is going fine and I'm good and I'm going to heaven and you've never trusted Jesus personally. Don't do that, okay? Make sure that you have verbally, personally asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you. Amen? All right. Verse 3. <laughs> this next part goes much faster. Okay. Said, behold, there appeared to them uh, Moses and Elijah talking with him, Jesus. And what's going on here is that Moses and Elijah physically and, and really are there talking to Jesus. That, that's actually happening. But it's also a figurative um, explanation of something, which is that Moses and Elijah are representative of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament or of their scriptures, their Bible, was that it is broken into two parts, the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. Okay, And so when you have Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, what's going on here is that you have a message from God that Jesus is the point of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment. He is, he is the trajectory. He is everything that God is trying to communicate about his plan of salvation. All of it points to Jesus. Okay, that's, that's the reality. He supersedes it. He's the ultimate point of it. He's the fulfillment of all of God's revelation up to that point. 
Jesus is God's Messiah. That's what he's showing his disciples in that moment. Now, the, the, the other thing that happens here is that Moses and Elijah, if you look over in Luke, where Luke talks about the transfiguration, they're specifically talking about Jesus going to the cross, Jesus suffering and dying in Jerusalem. That's what they're discussing. And here's what you get when you take all those things together, is that the point of Jesus' life is to die, okay? Jesus is the point of the Old Testament, and the point of Jesus' life is to go to the cross to pay for sin. That's everything that, it, that God is doing and moving people toward an understanding and a reception of that. And Peter makes the mistake of saying, let's just stay here. Let's build some tents and let's just enjoy and bask in the glory. Because it says um, in Luke, again, I think, that Moses and Elijah also come in radiant garments or glorious apparel. Okay, so, so they're radiating glory. Jesus is radiating glory, and Peter and James and John are like, man, we want to hang out here. We don't want to go into that dark time. We don't want to go into the, the actual point of what God's doing here. We'd like to just stay here and enjoy this part. How many of you agree that would be a great thing? Let's just, let's just get to the glory part. I don't really want to go through the dark and difficult uh, seasons of life. So you can understand why Peter feels this way, because it's how we all feel. But God reprimands Peter. I mean, this is kind of a scary and, and strange thing. The, the cloud covers, which is the Shekinah presence of the Father, covers them. And uh, in, in on the mountain of Sinai, when Moses went uh, to receive the law, the, the cloud covered the mountain. The people were so terrified they wouldn't even approach the mountain much less the cloud. And God envelops this whole community right now with his presence in a powerful way that terrifies Peter and the disciples to such an extent that they're like on their faces on the ground. Jesus has to touch them physically and personally to say, don't worry, you're not going to die. But here's the issue, is that God is trying to convince Peter to understand, and John and James, that he has to go to the cross. He has to pay for sin. That it's, there are going to be difficult times. In fact, this is how it concludes. He says, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. All of the transfiguration is this message of Jesus has to go to the cross. But God's got a plan. And you can trust his plan. And here's what I think kind of the trajectory of this message is for us, is that we get these confirmations of God's presence and his glory. Would you agree? We, we get these moments of God just putting his hand on us and comforting us and calming us and helping us. But he's also preparing us for difficult times. That life is filled with difficult times. This world is not our home, that there will be hard things that we're going to walk through, health issues, broken relationships. We're going to have death in our families. We're going to have uh, financial issues from time to time. We're going to have things that happen to us that cause so much stress that we're at the breaking point in our minds. You've been there? Some people are there now. 
And the only thing that gets us through that is the knowledge and the understanding that I've been with the Lord. I have that personal experience. And I know that he's real and that he's going to take me through and I don't have to worry about anything because he is God and he is in control. Now, here's the other thing, though. Peter talks about the, uh, this experience in his letter in Second Peter. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So Peter is recounting the transfiguration, one of the most pivotal moments in his life. Okay, uh, We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then verse 19, very, very important. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Here's what he's saying. Uh, my experience, no one had a, a more a powerful experience personally, eyewitness to Jesus than Peter. Nobody. And that was, that was helpful and it was good and it was wonderful. Um, but he says this, the word of God is more certain. God's word, what he is revealing in this book is even more powerful, more permanent. This is the truth that your experience will help to confirm. But this is the truth. And you take everything that you go through, okay, no matter good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever you go through, you bring it back to the word of God and say, God, what are you saying to me about life? And you have promises and guarantees and revelations of who God is and how he's going to walk with you through life. You don't have to bank on my experience being the truth. Here's the truth. When you let this be your foundation, then it leads you to Jesus, who will get you to glory. Amen? You can trust his plan. You can trust his presence. And his ultimate goal, he wants to bring you into the best, most awesome, unbelievable place that exists, his presence forever in heaven. You choose. Father, we thank you. We give you all glory and praise, God, that you reveal truth. You're willing to share your life with us. You're willing to transform our lives. You're willing to uh, sanctify and change and, and build us up and encourage us and do everything to bring us to the place where we can be used by you, where we can have peace. But we have to lay this life down. Your word says that if we try to save our lives, we lose it. But if we lay our lives down, we gain them eternally. What a hard thing to just submit this, this life to you, but what a great exchange. That which we can't really control anyway, that which we have no power ultimately, 
You just lay that down and then we receive all the promises of your word. So we thank you that you offer that. Um, Lord, we pray that we would have the courage to trust you and have the courage to respond to you in faith. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you this morning um, just to respond to the Holy Spirit. Like I said earlier, I'm not the teacher. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Jesus is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the guide into his truth. He's the power that enables you to change. He's the one inviting you into a relationship with himself. These words that I'm saying are simply me as a representative of him. I'm inviting you on his behalf to respond to his invitation to know Jesus Christ and to be saved and or if you're already a believer to lay this life down maybe again and say I need to get in a place in an environment in a position that I might reflect and radiate the good things of God instead of the garbage of this world. But we're inviting you. Altar's a place that you can physically do that. Um, we'd love to celebrate whatever God's doing in your life this morning. Amen? Let's stand and sing.